0: to Abiding Hope Church's podcast of our weekly sermons. For more information about our church, please visit AbidingHope.org. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as a manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? he replied a hundred containers of wheat he said take your bill and make it eighty and his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light and I tell you make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone they may welcome you into the eternal homes whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much if then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth who will entrust to you the true riches and if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another who will give you what is your own No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm just returning from sabbatical, and I've gone through a change in perspective. That's actually what sabbatical is intended to do. It's to give us time away, distance, space, grace, in order to be transformed in some way, to see with new eyes, to think with a new mind. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be on a three-month sabbatical. Uh, I accomplished everything I set out to do, which is good. I uh, wrote a book, yay. Sent the manuscript yesterday to the publisher. Fortress Press is considering publishing my book. They haven't said they will yet, but they have it, so we'll see. Uh, and I got to spend a lot of time helping my family transition. Our daughter Sarah graduated from CSU in May. Yay! <laughs> oh, praise God! Praise God. <laughs> and she is now a performer for Disney in Orlando at Disney World. Yes, I'm living vicariously through her. Uh, Every time we text, the last thing I say is, I'm jealous. You know, we'll text, what'd you have for dinner today? I'm jealous, I'm just constantly jealous that she gets to live at Disney World. Uh, And our son Jeremy graduated from Chatfield High School in May and he's now, yay, he's now a freshman at Capitol University in Columbus, Ohio. And Capitol is, a a Trinity Seminary and Capitol are, are one and the same. You know Trinity Lutheran Seminary, Exactly. So, so Jeremy is there. What's funny is he actually takes classes in the seminary in some of the same classrooms where I took classes uh, more than 25 years ago, and, and it's just kind of cool, and I'm living vicariously through him as well. So uh, we've reached this empty nester place in life, and yes, exactly, that's my, yeah, yeah, wonderful. It's terrific. Um, I will tell you that it took me six to eight weeks to detox and I'm not I'm using that word properly detox I had to go through a detoxification I don't know about you but um, I tend to get in ruts you know you just get into this calendar rut. This expectations with uh, job and with family and responsibilities. And and it, it took me six to eight weeks for that to just kind of stop. It was, it was difficult. It wasn't easy. And I, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to have the three month sabbatical. I couldn't have gone on a three week vacation and detox. It, it just, it wouldn't have happened. And it enabled me to Uh, to take hard look at myself take hard looks at at uh, this community take hard looks at the world and to begin to have some some new perspective we all need new perspective all of us do because we're not who we think we are I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not who I truly think I am today. There's a lot of things in this world that we think define us, that we think make us who we are. And in our context, in this community, we put a lot of emphasis on wealth. We think we own ourselves. We think that we produced all that we have. We think we are the makers of our own success. We believe that, right? We actually believe that. In reality, everything we have belongs to God. We don't believe that. You don't believe that. If we truly believed that everything we have belongs to God, if we truly believed that our own lives belong to God, we'd make different choices. We'd live different lives. We'd be far more intentional about our time. Far more intentional about our resources. Far more intentional about our our, our serving and our giving and all of those things. We say everything belongs to God, but then we had, well, I kind of have some things I want to do with it right now, so I'll give it back to you later. We're kind of like teenagers. You know, we're kind of like teenagers. We haven't created it, we haven't produced it, we haven't accumulated it, but we think it's, uh, it's ours to do with whatever we want. And the reality is, we have a lot of toxicity in this community, especially with our young people. I mean, thank God for Second Wind. Thank God for, you know the founder of Second Wind is sitting right here. founder of Second Wind Fund. Second Wind Fund saves the lives of teenagers, and Marjorie Laird is the founder. We, she can give you the data, but we have a problem in this community with our young people. And what's happening is it's getting worse. More and more kids are suicidal. And I think a major part of that problem is because we're afraid for our kids to be in pain. So we protect them from everything. We give them whatever they want. We don't want our kids to be in pain because another kid has an iPad or an iPhone and our kid doesn't. Or another kid drives a nice newer car to school and our kid can't. Or uh, another kid gets to go to these big Ivy League schools and our kid might not be able to. We're so afraid that our kids are going to miss out on something and we just pour everything into them and give them whatever they want. And in reality, we're creating toxic young people. Young people who can't deal with the pressures and stresses of life. And so the first time they encounter adversity, they want to die. And they think life doesn't matter. The problem is wealth doesn't create healthy people. Wealth doesn't create wholeness. Wealth doesn't create wellness. We're convinced it does. We're convinced that the more we have, the more success we have, the more notoriety we have, the happier we're going to be. And it doesn't work. We're miserable. Our community is miserable. And so what do we do? We keep going after the same stuff we've been pursuing from the beginning, and we find ourselves continually empty. You see, hoarding and, and, and keeping things for ourselves actually creates emptiness. It's like you, you dam up the, the river, and you hold all the water back, and it actually creates emptiness within us. When in reality, when we pour ourselves out, when we open ourselves as a conduit of blessing into the world, where we let love and generosity and compassion and forgiveness flow directly through us, that's when we find ourselves to be most whole and to be full. How many of you were confused by the gospel text? we just write yeah yeah it's it's confusing you're lucky I'm here you're lucky I came <laughs> you're lucky I came back to explain this to you right and just spent three months studying this one parable no kidding so this is a fascinating story where this dishonest manager gets commended for being dishonest right that's kind of how it reads but let's break this down a little bit Jesus is telling a story He's telling a parable to give perspective and he says that there's this, this owner, this wealthy man, rich man, who has property and he has a manager, an economist who works for him, who's supposed to be taking care of his property. And apparently this economist, this manager, has been loaning out property from the owner, for the owner's property, loaning it out to other people. But notice he doesn't keep any records. Did you notice that? Because he has to walk up to people and go, what do you owe? <laughs> How much did I give you? you know, he doesn't have records. He doesn't even know what people owe. But he, the, the owner comes and says, you can't be my manager anymore because you're doing a terrible job. You're squandering my property. And so the manager panics. Because what's he going to do once he loses his job? He's too weak to dig. I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, but he's too weak to dig. And he's too proud to beg. So he goes to the debtors and says, what do you owe? Oh, you owe 100, make it 50. You owe 100, make it 80. So he reduces the debt. And then he goes back to the owner, and what's the owner say? Great job, great job, that's commendable. And Jesus says, you know, the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light, basically saying, you children of light, let's go, become more shrewd, let's get after something here. Here's what I think's going on. There was a period in my mother's career where she did collections for a doctor's office. She wasn't a professional collections agency, but uh, she had a relationship with this doctor, and, and he said, you know, I've got all these people who owe me money, and I'm not getting any of it. And she said, well, I'd be happy to come and just call people and see what we can get. He said, I'd love if you could do that, and I'll pay, pay you, you know, for doing it. And so she would get on the phone, and she'd try to be really nice, and, um, and, and she would say, hey, you owe this. What can you pay? How much can you pay? And often the people would say, well, I can't pay that, but I can pay this. And she'd say, when can you get that in? Well, I can get that in by this time. Great. The doctor's happy because he got something. And the debtor's happy. Why? Because the debt's gone. And my mother benefited because she's getting, it's a job, right? And, and so I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying, look, everything you have belongs to God. And it's a little bit intimidating to say you got to give everything to God. Is anybody really comfortable knowing how to give it? Do you know how to give everything to God? I don't know how to give everything to God. That's a little scary. And so I think what Jesus is saying is, look, recognize that all you have is God's and all you are belongs to God. Do something that benefits God. Do something that benefits humanity. And in doing that, you're doing something that will benefit you. Right? I think sometimes we're intimidated because we think we have to be Mother Teresa. We have to be Martin Luther King Jr. We have to be Gandhi. We have to, we have to you know, do all these things in order to be a Christian. And then we end up doing nothing because we're frozen in intimidation. And Jesus is saying, no, do something that recognizes that all that you have belongs to God. Do something that generates goodness and love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness and generosity in the world. And guess what? You'll benefit too. Think of a time in your life where you actually felt whole. You felt full. You felt like... Your life had meaning. This is what you exist for. This is why God created you. I guarantee you, if you can think of that time when you felt full and and whole and complete, you were serving in some way. You were loving in some way. You were being generous in some way, right? And so what I think is going on here in this parable is that, is that Jesus is inviting us, first of all, to recognize all that we have belongs to God. And to use it in some way that's a blessing to God, blessing to humanity, and also a blessing to us. So, several years ago we were in Haiti and we took these, um, we took these uh, Haitian college students out for dinner. And uh, we, were end- we ended up talking about the difference be- between Haitian culture and American culture, and, th- and they were asking about young people in America. They're very interested in young people in America. And, and so I said, well in our context, in our community, we actually have a suicide problem with young people. And the, the Haitians, they started talking to each other in Creole, and I didn't know Creole at that time, so I didn't know what they were saying, and they, they're talking back and forth, and finally, Uh, one of them looked at me and said what is suicide and I said suicide is when um, you give up on life and you you want to die and you actually end your own life and this Haitian young person with eyes big said American youth kill themselves and he said They have food? Yes, they have food. They have a home? Yes. They have education schools? Yes. They have jobs? Yes. And they want to die? They want to die? He he couldn't understand. These Haitians couldn't understand. So I said, what's the suicide rate in Haiti? And this student said, Pastor Doug, Haitians don't kill themselves. They fight to live. They fight to live. What's it take for us to fight to live? It doesn't mean to be more successful. It doesn't mean to accumulate more. It doesn't mean to be wealthier or to have notoriety or to have a YouTube page. To fight to live means that we're willing to open ourselves to be vessels of God's blessing into the world. To fight to live means that we we change our perspective and we recognize that all that we have and all that we are belongs to God. To fight to live means we orient our lives toward the things that we know generate life, which is relationship, service, generosity. God has called us here into this time and into this place, not simply, simply so that we can figure out how to live, but so that we can show others how to live when we can live as the children of God we're created to be at home at work at school in our neighborhoods we're modeling for others what real life truly is we have a problem we have a problem in our context here we have a problem in our world and we're not going to solve the problem with money and and with government we're going to solve the problem by choosing to live as the children of God that God created us to be Jesus, as I told the kids, didn't want to die. Did you ever think about that? I mean, very often we think, you know, yeah, he skipped to the cross. No, he didn't. He didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to die. That's why he yelled at Peter when Peter, you know, said, hey, let's not do that. He had to yell at Peter because he was fighting his own demons within him that were telling him, don't do this. You could go on and live a long life if you just don't go to Jerusalem. And Jesus went in that garden and he prayed because he had to, he had, he needed a change in perspective. Jesus needed a change in perspective. And he got it by saying, not what I want, but what you want. I think that's what we need to do a lot of the time. We can think a lot about what we want with our money, what we want with our, with our careers, what we want with a... Our possessions personal success all of those things but we need to change it and say but no it's not what I want God it's what you want and give me the courage to do what you want give me the courage to be more generous with my time give me the courage to be more generous with my resources give me the courage to be more generous with my love more generous with my forgiveness and the kicker is when we do that God God is blessed Humanity's blessed, and we're blessed. After Jesus died on the cross, God raised him from the dead to show us that life and love win. If we really believe that, if we really believe that love and life win and that God owns us, then we're going to live differently. We're going to make different choices, different decisions. We're going to strive every single day to be the people God created us to be. And that doesn't mean we're going to get it perfect. It doesn't mean we're, we're going to figure it all out. But it does mean we're going to do something. Do something. So here in a moment, we're going to play some, some music. A video will play. And while that's playing, I invite you to, to engage in some, some contemplative work about that one thing you're going to do this week that demonstrates that you really believe that love and life win and that you believe that God owns everything you belong to God what's one thing, just not a hundred, one one thing you're going to do this week one thing you're going to do this week that demonstrates you really believe that all that you have belongs to God cling to your trust in this God and truly live God loves each of you and I do too, Amen